Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. This year, our Mentor of the Month presentations will focus on practice fundamentals. Fundamentals are the most essential part of a business. They serve as the groundwork for success and need to be reviewed and re-reviewed no matter where you are in the timeline of your career. Coach Vince Lombardi once said that football is two things. It's blocking and tackling. I don't care about formations or new offenses or tricks on defense. You block and you tackle better than the team you're playing, you win. This year's Mentor of the Month interviews will review business fundamentals. They are the blocking and tackling of business success. Please enjoy now this 2017 Mentor of the Month presentation. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. This is Steve Anderson. And again with us today is Barbara Freet, who's been a longtime Crown Council research partner, as well as uh, one of the most experienced in the field of dental human resource management. Barbara works across many fields. Dentistry is one of her specialties. So she brings to the table some real specifics on what it means and what you have to do as a dental employer. Uh, she's been doing hands-on human resource uh, services and advice, including employee handbook development, creating job descriptions, developing performance appraisals, really all types of human resource development and training. Um, her company, Human Resource Advisors, uh, also provides day-to-day -day assistance, they have a hotline, um, on issues uh, like employee discipline and termination, selection, hiring, leaves of absence, really anything that you have a question about in terms of being an employer, they deal with that uh, so that you do it right on the front end so you don't have a problem on the, on the back end. Uh, she's really the leading person in the dental industry that's developed handbooks for every state in the country. And one of the things that Barbara and I always talk about is the, the difference in employment law from state to state. So uh, a dentist in Washington state is going to have a different set of rules than somebody in Texas or Oklahoma or, and, or all over the country. So uh, don't be getting your employment advice from a dentist in another state because it may not apply to you. So uh, her list of credentials is uh, a very long list uh, that she has been involved in human resource management for a long time. And uh, she has her, uh, she is a certified, I'm going to say that, I'm going to make sure I get this right, Barbara, the human, the National Human Resource Certification Institute has certified her as a professional in human resources since 1993. So you are a pro. A pro. Good deal. So topic today, I entitled this, Gotcha. The biggest mistakes dentists don't even know they're making as an employer until it's too late. So these are going to be all the things uh, that you, this is what I call the mop-up stuff. So the stuff that you end up having to help a dentist mop up and clean up the catastrophe uh, and the times when they say, oh, I wish I'd have known this. Yes. You know, a week ago or a month ago or two years ago, whatever it is. So biggest problems you end up high, you, you end up dealing with on a regular basis that most dentists don't know about. So that should be a fun, fun. <laughs> so um, let's just start out with the biggest, you know, what is the biggest mistake that dental employers make? The biggest mistake, and, and yes, this could be a two hour conversation, Steve, about the mistakes and the number of times that people say, gosh, I wish I'd called you last week or something right. like that. 
The biggest mistake is not managing the practice. By that I mean uh, most dentists love to do dentistry. They love the patient contact. They love, they love working in somebody's mouth. They don't love bickering women and <clears throat> problems that, you know, all the distractions that employees can bring, the team member, members can bring. So they pull away. And by not man managing the practice, really managing the practice, uh, those are the dentists that get surprised by embezzlement, uh, theft of time, finding out their associate is sleeping with their hygienist and their whole what? office is about to blow up. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're surprised by things all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, so they give either they give somebody else the opportunity to manage the practice, <clears throat> pardon me, or um, they overmanage. Um, micromanaging and getting involved in every little thing is really born out of fear. Mm. Somebody who does true leadership oversight, that's born out of confidence. And uh, I want to train dentists to be confident and to be confident leaders but more importantly, to know what to look for, to look for the red flags. So getting in there <clears throat> and really managing, I mean, Crown Council dentists and TOPS people are TOPS clients, they have resources that other dentists often don't have. So really managing, making a decision to manage the practice is obnoxious, but absolutely necessary. And uh, done right, I mean, it gives you the peace of mind of knowing that at least the ship's headed in the right direction yes. and, and you have all the things uh, on board. Um, so digging down into that then, um, what are some of the other big mistakes, maybe not so obvious, that uh, you end up dealing with on a frequent basis? Well, certainly there's a lot of topics that people get messed up with, um, like social media, not knowing what they can and can't do. Um, the National Labor Relations Board has made some what I think are dumb rules. I'm allowed to speak. My <laughs> okay. Rules that say that employees have the right to what's called concerted activity. Concerted activity means they can talk about the practice. They can talk about their work conditions. They can do it on social media. They can do it in the office. They can do it out at dinner. They can do it anywhere they want to. And talking about the practice is protected. Here's an example. There was a school and the, um, the drama teacher was criticized by the head of school for his production, whatever it was. And so he got on the email, the school email that night and sent out a message to all of the rest of the faculty making very unkind comments about the head of school and including comments about her quote morality and so the next day, the head of school came in and fired him. He went to the National Labor Relations Board, and the NLRB said he has the right to use the computer, uh, the school computer, and badmouth the head of school. So be careful when you are looking. I don't recommend that you go on social media and read your team's stuff. <laughs> right. I recommend that you become friends. There are dentists who disagree with me. Right. They think that's all in the spirit of the family and this is a family. Well, that's all, all right until you find something on there that you don't like. And then you cross the line into privacy issues. You cross, there's things you don't want to know. And so that's why I'm, I'm saying this. You can't make your employees give you their password to their private sites. You can't, um, you can go on and look when you're about to hire somebody. If it's public, you can look at it. Right. And it, sometimes it's a judgment issue. But that's one thing. 
about social media. Employees do have the right to say things. One of the biggest mistakes though, overarching mistakes, Steve, that I find is employers who are too nice. Niceness sometimes is born of fear, but niceness can harm you. I mean, aren't bosses supposed to be nice? Aren't employees supposed to work for nice people? No, they're supposed to work for good bosses, not nice bosses. And here's the difference. Good bosses spend their time focusing on their best employees. They don't get their time sucked out of, of their workday by the less than good employees. They focus on the really good people. Nice bosses give way too many second chances. Good bosses know what it takes to re remain and retain professional distance. What's professional distance? It's not doing a lot of sexual joking with your staff. It's not letting your staff babysit for you. You say, that's not right. Oh yes it is, now they're in your home, looking at everything you own. Talk to Bryant Trude about that one when it comes to entitlement attitudes. No babysitting, no buying cars and putting people through college and paying for special things for people. Um, there's a lot of things that dentists do and they overreach that professional distance. Uh, and I don't recommend it. I've seen it blow up in lawsuits many times. Good bosses don't assume. They ask questions. Nice bosses just want to be nice. Um, they just want to be liked. They just want to be liked. Yes. And good bosses focus on behavior. So when I say behavior, everything related to discipline and everything else is about the behavior. It's not about, oh, she's got three kids and she, her husband just left her and her mother's sick. And all those things are caring things, but they don't have anything to do with the actual behavior in, in the workplace. So don't be too nice. Be good. Don't be nice. Yeah, and so what you're saying, the biggest takeaway here is you need to make your judgments based on job performance, not on life conditions. Correct. Right. So if I, if I start cutting some slack to somebody because of all the things I know about what's going on in their personal life, that may be an issue. Absolutely. Okay. It, isn't, it doesn't mean you don't care. It means that you don't necessarily make your decisions based on those things. Gotcha. Um, can we go back to the social media thing real quick? Sure. I know um, that's one of the biggest areas of employment law today. Um, can I have a social media policy in my employment manual? You better have a, a social media policy. And when okay. we write our social media policy in our handbook, we have taken great pains to make sure that we don't put in there overly broad statements. That's been a, something that's cropped up in court cases a lot, making overly broad statements. Again, it goes back to common sense versus the law. Okay. You, you can, there are certain things you can say and there are certain things you should not say. But yes, uh, we have a social media policy. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I know it's involved because it, it, that area continues to grow. But just as a quick example, what are some things that I can have in my social media policy and things that I can't? If you say um, that, the, that people are not allowed to post anything that uh, is objectionable on their social media sites, that's too broad. Okay. It's not defined. What's objectionable? And objectionable to who? 
So that's too broad an example. It seems perfectly logical. So instead, you have to say something much more specific. You can't say things that are harassing. You can't say things that are um, about patients or take patients' pictures without their knowledge and consent. I mean, there are things like that, but you must be much more specific. Got it. So that's one example. Um, and then in terms of it, it sounds like you can't necessarily dictate what they can and can't post on their own social media sites. That's pretty much true. You can say that they, they can't disparage your comp competition. And you can say that they can't um, put, put things about patients because that's the patient's yeah. privacy. Right. Um, but yes, you have to be much, much more specific and not overly broad. Got it. Um, okay, so areas of mistakes, if I can go to another one that I know is one of the big, big areas of employment law is sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. So can you, give us a, can you give us the definition of sexual harassment from the law? Yes, I'm a trainer on the subject and I have been for 12 years. Okay. It's, think of it this way. Think of a pitcher full of water and the water in the pitcher represents anything sexual, anything banter and joking and anything and everything at all. And in front of that pitcher is a glass. The law used to say that sexual harassment had to be pervasive and severe. Now it says it needs to be pervasive or severe. So if you picture, if you picture P-I-C-T-U-R-E. If you picture a little drop of water coming out of that pitcher into that glass in front of you, every time there's sexual banter, just because something sexual is saying, doesn't make is said, doesn't make it sexual harassment. But it's if it's pervasively sexual in somebody's practice, pretty soon that glass, even with a drip here and a drop there, will be full. And as my attorney has said, you don't know if the size of the glass on the judge's desk is a shot glass or a tumbler. What's too much? So the, the idea is that everything that is sexual and everything that makes somebody uncomfortable doesn't mean it's sexual harassment. It has to be sexual and harassment, both. Just having sexual banter back and forth doesn't make it harassment, but it might make it an untenable work situation. Just because somebody laughs doesn't mean they think it's funny. So it, that's why people call and talk. I've done a lot of investigations also, and they call and talk about their particular situation. But I also want to mention one quick other thing, Steve. Dentists are also liable for what's called professional sexual harassment that doesn't mean they're really good at it but it means that, <laughs> it okay. means that they have a professional relationship with their patients yeah and so if there is any sexual harassment between the doctor and the patient there it, it's worse they're going to pay more money so don't assume is my motto um, and, and dentists should really make sure that their environment stays professional. And it's the dentist's responsibility to, to draw the line. Oh, absolutely. He's, he or she is the leader. So yeah. if there's somebody who gets out of line, their responsibility to pull them aside and yeah. call them on it. They're and just say, we don't, 
we don't talk like that in the in the work environment. I'm just you know, but sometimes the dentist is the worst one. Yeah, and and some embarrassing things have come up um, recently. I had a dentist who would tell the front desk person when he was hiring, don't even bother to send anybody back for an interview who doesn't have big boobs. Nice. Maybe yeah. And um, that turned into a lawsuit and I had to go and investigate it. Do you think he was embarrassed? Big time. Big time. Yeah, big time. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you had one piece of advice in this area uh, for anybody who's an employer, what would it be? I will tell you the one secret, the silver bullet. If, if, <laughs> if, if all employers would do this one thing, it would help them more than any other. Okay. And that is sitting down and deciding what makes a person successful in a given position. That's a different question than what's their experience, uh, what's their education. It's a different question. What makes a person successful in a position will guide your hiring, your disciplining, everything. If you write down, and so it might be something like, um, if you, for example, think of a front desk person and think of a bookkeeper. Are the, the same things that make a front desk person successful in that position, are they the same things that make a bookkeeper successful in his or her position? No, they're not. We're including personality, attitude, just a lot of behavioral things. If you write that down once, then develop interview questions based on that, I get a kick out of people because they develop these interview questions, but they don't know the right answers. They just, they come across a question they like, but what is the right answer for this position? Right. So if they will write down, and I help, uh, what, can we help with this? What makes a person successful? They are much clearer when the person is not being successful. So they can hire better, they can create interview questions and reference checking questions based on that list, discipline better, and terminate with so much more clarity. <clears throat> so you have to focus on behaviors. So for example, let's say I say to you, Steve, Steve, you are disrespectful. What's the first thing you're going to say to me? No, I'm not. Exactly. <laughs> but if I say to you, Steve, you interrupt, you cut people off. You cut me off two minutes ago when I was saying X, Y, and Z. And Mrs. Smith called yesterday to say you were rude to her. If I'm specific about your behaviors, isn't that a much more powerful message to you? You can say, no, I'm not, if I use a trait. To describe you but not so easily if I focus on behaviors does that help that helps a lot in fact um, so then in the hiring process and the training process then do you recommend that the training centers around what are the behaviors that are required for the job in other words here's the type of behaviors you need to develop to be effective and successful in the job yes absolutely and, and that's a much clearer statement of your expectations mm -hmm. than to say, be friendly, be, you know, be kind, be compassionate. What does that look like in the workplace? If you can define those behaviors when a person is not showing those behaviors, it's much clearer. Plus, they know your expectations. Mm 
and um, it's clear what they have to do. Got it. Good tips. Uh, all right. Um, just to wrap up, what have we missed, Barbara? Biggest mistake? Uh, what other, in, and to wrap up, what other mistakes do you find you deal with on a regular basis that we ought to know about before we finish? People are afraid to fire. They're really afraid to fire people. And um, I think I get requests for termination assistance. <laughs> Yesterday I terminated four people. I mean, they want you to come in and do it. And I do. And they fly me places. I had a, I had a client fly me to Los Angeles because his employee threw a printer at him. And he oh. is a male. He was afraid of her. So my gigantic five foot two, I've never been five foot two in my life. I just, my five foot one and a half stature, he hires me, flies me down to LA to terminate this woman. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I like George Clooney. I guess I get to fly. <laughs> but, but people are afraid to terminate. And the reason I think they're afraid to terminate people is because they know intuitively they haven't done a good enough job before they get sick of the person to mm. communicate what's wrong gotcha. and give the person an opportunity to change and be clear. If you're clear about what isn't working and you're able to communicate that, to your employee effectively, they're not surprised when they get terminated. Yeah. So it's the fear of confrontation, Steve. It really is. And, and not really knowing what you can say and what you can't say. So I do a lot of script writing. If I don't fly there, I write scripts for people, encourage them on what to say and what not to say, and uh, saves them from getting in trouble. Perfect. All right, as always, uh, People can reach you best way how you're because I know you're available to answer questions and and yep. uh, be a great resource as well as put together uh, great uh, employee manuals, which is uh, a non-negotiable in my book. A, a, a little investment in a good employee manual will save a lot of money and a lot of headache on the back end. So best place to reach Barbara Freed. Uh, phone number nine two five three one zero four eight. Two four, email Barbara B A R B A R A at H R Advisors with an O R S Advisors dot net, and I have staff. If I'm not in, Amy has worked with a lot of our clients on the handbook. She knows a lot of good answers, and I do have other staff that can answer questions. We're here to serve. We're here to help. We're here to save you. <laughs> Perfect. Barbara, thanks so much for being our Mentor of the Month again, and thanks for uh, setting us straight. Appreciate thanks, all your Steve. wisdom. And thanks everything for inviting you me. You bet. Thanks so much.